Good morning. How's everyone doing? That's good. I was like really nervous. Nobody would say anything there. Um, that's great. Um, yeah, uh, my name is Zach Gates. I'm the director of Next Steps here at Trinity Green Trails. It's kind of my role to help people connect and get plugged in. So if you're new or if you're coming back for the first time in a long time, uh, I'll be at that fancy new desk that we have out front um, uh, after the service. So it'd be great uh, to, to hear from you and, and see you all afterwards. But um, yeah, before I dive into the text, I just want to uh, do a little bit of a recap. We're in this series on Genesis. We have kind of done this deep dive into the study. We've moved through the first movement from Genesis 1, where there's creation, through the fall, all the way up to the Tower of Babel. And now we're zooming in in the second movement of Genesis, which is focusing on the life of Abraham and how God is working his redemptive process of restoring the world to what it was intended to be through Abraham uh, and his people. He's forming this people. Uh, and we've seen Abraham throughout struggle through uh, doubt, through fear, through um, you know, taking his will or, or taking his plans into consideration over God's, right? He's putting that over uh, what God has done or what God has promised him. He's, he did that last week in that story with Hagar and Ishmael and caused a whole bunch of problems. And now it's about 15 years later in this text from Genesis 18. And we're just going to catch up with Abraham where we're addressing this question, does Abraham understand God's heart? So does Abraham understand God's heart? Heart. That's going to be kind of this underlying question that we're focusing on as we walk through the text a little bit. Um, so as we dive into that, uh, I'd ask that you pray with me really quick, and we'll get started. Father, I want to thank you for uh, everybody here. This is a full room. It's so good to see so many people back in your, uh, in your house where we can worship freely and worship together. Thank you for that opportunity. Thank you for bringing us all here, Lord. I ask that uh, the meditation of my heart, the words that uh, come out of my mouth today are um, guided by you and your spirit. Help me to get out of the way. I ask that, we, um, that you open the uh, ears and the minds of, of all the people here today to hear what it is that you have to say. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Cool. So yeah, we've, um, like I said, been walking through Genesis, but um, I don't know, like as I've been thinking about this and praying about this, reading, whatever, studying, meditating on it. Um, weirdly enough, something that's been on my mind a lot is the devil. I know it's a really weird thing to kind of like bridge into this. Why are you thinking about that, Zach? I went to this lecture uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, this, he was a psychologist. He was speaking on the idea of being grateful in spite of suffering. And at one point, he brought up the idea of Satan as the accuser. That's what Satan means in Hebrew. It means accuser. It's something I've known uh, for a while, but he contextualized it in a way that made so much sense to me. It went kind of like beyond the theological understanding or the linguistic understanding. It really made its way into my heart as to kind of what this looks like. And it's, it's uh, accusations, right? It's, it's not a novel idea. If accuser means accuser or Satan means accuser, then he's going to accuse me of things. And it's, it's very much for me and my thoughts. Um, I'm just going to get a little transparent and honest about this. It's very, I, I struggle with self-doubt. There's, you know, you can't go and do this. Uh, you aren't educated enough to do this. You are not accusation, right? You cannot an accusation. Um, and on, you know, another end of things too, the really difficult part is that there's some grains of truth in this, right? Like me being up here now, 
struggle with some of these accusations of, you're doing this for your own ego, you're doing this because you like to look a certain way, you like to look wise, you like to look like a good teacher, right? Uh, you shouldn't do this. This isn't, this isn't a good thing for you. You need to not have that as a part of your uh, spiritual makeup before you can go talk to people about the gospel, which is an accusation, right? That really gets in the way. It's counterintuitive to what the gospel means, right? Uh, God loves me despite all of that darkness and evil that I might have in my heart and in my, and in my spirit. Um, this, the enemy would love anything more than for me to uh, share what the gospel means, right? Or to speak about scripture. So it keeps me still. And I, again, think that this is really important for us to hear because I guarantee uh, I'm not the only one who struggles with these sorts of things where the accuser is making its way into your brains and your thoughts and your hearts. Uh, and that's just kind of how it is. The enemy would love for us not to hear the gospel and to speak about it. But uh, as we leave from here, I, again, I want to make this known because uh, what this story in Genesis 18 offers is so much dignity that's given to human beings. We see God as partnering with human beings. God is inviting human beings in to help enact righteousness and justice and God's mercy in the world. He wants us to do that. He wants us broken, broken people who do have some corrupt parts of our hearts uh, to partner with him in this. He wants us to join him on his mission. That is that's, in, that's insane, right? Like, that, that's really difficult to believe. And maybe the accuser has gotten in the way of that for some of us, right? But we need to remember this as we're called to be God's people who are moving out into the world, being like Abraham, uh, enacting and administering and advocating for righteousness, justice, and mercy, peace. All of these things are parts of the kingdom of God. So it's important for us to know how the enemy is going to work against that, right? Um, and as we Kind of look at the text, though, you know, we're seeing this progression of Abraham moving into this more mature uh, faith, this more mature relationship with God, uh, and, and we're seeing what that looks like. And, and just to walk you through what we're going to talk about today, uh, we see what this means uh, for us. Genesis 18 shows us elements of what this mature relationship that Abraham's developed looks like. It looks like friendship. And there's three elements we see on display. These aren't the only ones that exist in friendship with God, but it looks like invitation and participation and commission. So we'll walk through that. We'll look at the text and see uh, where invitation happens, where participation happens, and where commission happens. We'll talk about how Jesus fits into that, and then we'll also talk about what that means for us, right? We are not living in tents in the middle of the desert thousands of years ago. Uh, so this has some practical application for us, though, today. So sound good? Everybody's tracking? Everyone doing well? Great. Cool, we'll walk through it. So this wasn't part of the reading, um, but it is important to notice as we look in the text and see kind of what God is inviting us into uh, when we talk about something like invitation and friendship, what, uh, what happened before. So uh, the first half of this chapter, uh, Abraham and his wife, uh, Sarah, are sitting in this tent, uh, and three men walk by, and Abraham invites them in. Uh, he serves them, he offers them food, and he offers them water, and he offers them shelter, hospitality. He is um, relationally connecting with these three men who he recognizes to be significant people. Uh, and again, he, he invites them in and offers them all these things, uh, and they entreat him. And then sometime uh, in the conversation, he realizes that this is God. This is those three men from the text that we looked at today. This is how this whole conversation started. 
So they, they walk through, uh, and again, he offers them all this hospitality. Uh, it says, rest yourselves under the tree. Interesting that we're meeting God under a tree again outside of the Garden of Eden. Cool little theme that you'll notice in the Old Testament, that God meets his people, especially in Genesis, near trees. Uh, and yeah, um, they're working together, and uh, this is what that invitation looks like. I think Abraham, at this point in his relationship with God, is starting to understand uh, the significance of hospitality. God has invited Abraham to live in this world, and Abraham uh, responds in kind. He invites people in. He understands, this is not my own. This is not my own thing. Uh, God's given me this, so I might as well invite this person in and share this with them as well. Um, There's a cool quote uh, from a guy named Ian DeGuid about friendship. He says, what's so special about a friend? A friend is someone to whom you open your heart. A friend is someone who knows not just what you're doing, but why you are doing it. Abraham, the friend of God, uh, as it says in the Old Testament frequently, was the man to whom God opened his heart and with whom he shared his thoughts. So there's this intimacy that is existing in this kind of communion and this kind of fellowship. God and Abraham are sharing meals. Uh, Abraham and God are serving one another. Abraham and God are communing, talking together, sharing honest and open feelings about, uh, how, uh, about what's going on in their hearts, about what's going on in their minds, what they desire in the world. This is the kind of relationship they have. This is friendship. It's this mature uh, uh, expression of the connection that they've got with one another that's developed beyond just a, uh, a, um, a relationship with God that might just be based on mere words. This is intimate fellowship in day-to-day living which is really, really cool. But friendship also kind of moves to participation. It doesn't remain at this invitation stage. Um, We see that conversation begin as they are leaving, having this meal together. Uh, God kind of almost like rhetorically uh, asks this question as if he wasn't going to invite Abraham to do this anyway. Uh, Should I invite him in? Should I teach him about this sort of thing? Uh, And he says that he's going to go down and uh, do justice and see what's going on with what's happening in Sodom. It's the same language from the Tower of Babel. I'm going to go see what's going on in Babel. I'm going to go see what's going on in Sodom. I need to be intimately involved here if people are telling me about this outcry of wickedness, right? And when it comes to something like purpose, when we're designed for intimacy with God, like Abraham showing us in that invitation part, we also have this purpose as image bearers to participate as God does in the world too. So if God is going down and being involved in the world, we also have that call to go down and be involved in the world. We can't remain separated and isolated. We're a part of this world as people of God who are working to bring the kingdom here, right? So if God is doing this, then Abraham's doing it. And God is inviting Abraham to learn. As it says that uh, we need to teach him, right? If he's going to be the father of this great nation where uh, I'm you know, working out my redemptive plan of the world, we need to learn how to do justice and righteousness in the world. And God is doing that here. And for some reason, again, God is choosing this human who uh, just two chapters before thought it would be a great idea to sleep with his servant so that uh, uh, things would move forward in terms of the covenant being worked out. That caused all of this uh, discord, uh, fractured relationships, brokenness, suffering, and pain, and it was a disaster. So here we are uh, with this guy, Abraham, who is being invited in. For some reason, God is using human beings. There's a quote from Jacob Needleman's book, What is God? Let me put it bluntly. Leaving aside some important qualifications and exceptions, it is only in and through people inwardly developed men and women, that God can exist and act in the world of man on the earth. 
The proof for the existence of God is the existence of people who are inhabited by and who manifest God. Another quote here from Brad Jerzak's book, A More Christ-Like God. I once heard Bishop Desmond Tutu say, for whatever reason, since humankind showed up on the scene, God does nothing without a human partner. Tutu's whatever reason is his appeal to mystery. I would suggest that the mystery of partnership is not found in any need in God, but in his purposeful design for love and fellowship with us, including our God-given ability to embrace or rebuff him. That last part is kind of what we see God, or Abraham doing here with God, right? What about for 50 people? What about for 45 people? What about for 30, or 40, 30, 20, 10, all the way down to 10, right? We can work with God. We can partner with God on his mission to uh, go down into the city and to uh, administer and learn what righteousness, justice, and mercy mean. And this is what God is inviting Abraham into, and he, he's using humans. This is that part of dignity that I really just, uh, I'm kind of like captured by as I read this story. Uh, God, God chooses us. He could do it himself, certainly, but God chooses to work and partner with human beings in intimacy and in fellowship and communion together here as a church, but also one-on-one -on -one together with God. We have this ability to have that kind of relationship and we're invited into that. And that partnership aspect of administering that righteousness and justice is us working together. It's not just connecting an invitation. It is working together to administer that righteousness, justice, and God's kingdom here in the world, right? And that's what it means to be an image bearer. That's what we're focusing on here, right? Um, so yeah, we see, you know, God, or Abraham is also starting to understand that uh, this is part of God's mission, learning what righteousness and mercy, righteousness and justice means. And, and this is that question, right? Does Abraham understand God's heart? The answer is yes. God can't, God can't um, be a just God if he is administering the same kind of justice to the righteous and the wicked at the same time, right? There needs to be some sort of differentiation. And uh, Abraham keeps working this out, and he understands, and he pushes the limits a little bit, right? That's where uh, that rebuffing comes in. And, and notice his humility as well as he does it, right? Uh, who am I? Like, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. He is in right relationship with God, he understands that he's communicating with the God of the universe, the creator who was and is and is to come, who is always and always will be. He is having a meal with him and is being invited in to work together with him. This is very audacious. It's very difficult to believe. The accuser, again, would love for us not to believe this is true for ourselves. And yet, here we are, being but dust and ashes, being invited into God's purpose in the world. So Abraham understands this. And again, he says, don't let the Lord be angry. He works his way down all the way into uh, what we look at as commission. It's in, it's in kind of the form of intercessory prayer, but he's being called out into this um, intercessory prayer, which is to advocate for, to advocate on behalf of, to uh, intercede, to pray for the people who can't pray for themselves or who uh, maybe don't know what's going on with God, don't have that kind of relationship with God that we do and we can pray for them. We can step in and intercede, right? And this is that gospel connection when it comes to commission. We're commissioned to participate in Jesus' mission as his friends. How is this possible, right? Jesus says in John 15, where he's going through the vine and the branches, a kind of discourse, right before he's going to the Mount of Olives to be betrayed, 
He says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear the fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. Another audacious thing, right? Whatever I ask God, he will give to me when we are called friends of God. And that's what, again, we're being invited into. How is this possible? Abraham knew this. He knew that this was God's heart as he is learning how to administer righteousness and justice. He knew that this was part of God's mission, and he also understood the covenant and the promise that had been made. If you remember in Genesis 6, uh, after the flood, God makes a covenant with Noah. The rainbow is pointed up, and that's like uh, it's the word for bow. God's saying, I'm going to take the punishment on myself. I'm not going to do that to you guys anymore. Uh, this is um, the language that we get from Genesis 15, where God makes a covenant with Abraham now. He splits the pieces in half and walks through the blood. You remember we talked about that a few weeks ago? And he says, essentially, that Abraham, if you don't keep up your half of the bargain, may what happened to these animals be done to me. I'm going to take that punishment for when you will mess up your half of the bargain with this covenant. And here we are, Abraham's trusting that promise. He's trusting who God is, that he's going to hold in perfect tension and, in, and administer it perfectly, righteousness and mercy. It is righteous and just for God to take this upon himself because he's committed to that in the covenant, and he's also merciful because it's what we deserve, and yet he's going to do it anyway. He's going to take what we deserve on it anyway. To elaborate further on that, if you kind of move forward into uh, Exodus, we see uh, the angel of death pass over uh, Israel, or e Egypt. Yeah, and the Israelites are there, and the blood of the lamb is on the door, and the blood of the lamb is what saves people from the angel of death, destroying their lives, right? And then move forward from there, there's also this idea of a scapegoat, where you put your hands on a goat, and you send it outside of the city, and all of the sins of the people are on that goat. Jesus was crucified outside of the city, John the Baptist referred to Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus takes that perfect punishment that we deserve, like he says in the bow, and like he says when we don't uphold our half of the covenant in Genesis 15, onto himself. He is the one who allows this friendship and this right relationship with God to be made possible. And Abraham understood that, and we are invited into that as well. That's the gospel here, is that God is going to take that on himself that God is going to teach us despite us messing up our half of the bargain and that he loves us and wants us to be a part of that. And the accuser, again, would love for us never to get to that point where we believe that could be us. And yet, it is us. God invites us in because of what Jesus has done to be his friends who are working together to bring God's kingdom in the world as priests, as mediators, that's what it means. We're, we're living between God and people, between God and the world as we are bringing his kingdom here through the Holy Spirit. And we're friends of God as we grow in this way, as we mature in this way, just as Abraham has done. So what does this mean for us? Like I said, we are not people who live in tents in the middle of the desert. Uh, we, we do have the ability to pray, though. We do have the ability to be in relationship with God. This, as I've thought about it a little bit more, looks a lot like prayer, right? Maybe for some of us, and this is maybe a fear of mine, I think in the church sometimes we settle for prayer being a mere recitation of words. We just say the right words at the right time at the certain part of the day, and that's our prayer time. But what we see in Abraham is that prayer is ongoing. Prayer is happening all throughout his life, in his day-to-day, 
in the meals that he's sharing. Uh, it can happen with us when we're tying our shoes, when we're in our office cubicles, when we are uh, you know, driving to and from work, when we're in the car, when we're talking with our family members. We are prayerfully connected with God as people who are bringing his kingdom into the world, as friends of God, as friends of Jesus, who are inviting others into that relationship as well. Right? God isn't just here for Santa Claus prayers where we ask him for something and he gives. Right? He's here for communion and intimacy and fellowship like we see with Abraham. Right? And especially this, this, you know, when this formula is broken, usually if, if something goes wrong in our lives, then we're like, God, I'm so mad at you. you know, I've, been, I've been so good. I've been praying all the right things. I've been doing all the right things. And yet, how come this is still happening? Uh, and that's a good thing because that starts to help us to mature into that relationship with God and move into this place where that's not just how we see him, right? This quote is from Thomas Merton. He says, the will of God is not a fate to which we must submit, but a creative act in our life, typo, nice one, uh, that produces something absolutely new, something hitherto unforeseen by the laws and established patterns. Our cooperation consists not solely in conforming to external laws, but opening our wills to this mutually creative act. Mutual, mutually creative. God is working in our lives in a creative and unexpected way to transform us into something new, to someone new that we never could have imagined that we were as people who are advocating for God, intercessing for God, spreading God's kingdom into the world. Who, me? The accuser would love us to believe, but the answer is yes. Right? And this is happening through this ongoing prayer where we're connected with God, where we're transformed by Jesus into something new. Just like Abraham, you think he thought when he was 80 years old and he's getting called out to have a child when he doesn't have one, to be the father of a great nation all throughout the world, all throughout history, the promise that he received? Absolutely not. There's no way that somebody sits there and expects that to happen to them. And yet we're called into that family of faith, just like Abraham was. Let's open our hearts and our minds to this ongoing communion with God and fellowship with God through prayer. Let's be transformed from the inside out as people who are bringing God's kingdom into the world, just like Abraham and just like we are invited into through what Jesus has done for us on the cross, through intimate fellowship with him by his spirit in our lives day to day. Will you please pray with me? Father, I want to thank you for this story. I want to thank you for the fact that we can trust you as our friend, that the lies and the accusations of the enemy uh, bear no weight into what, in comparison to what you've done for us, that you are willing to work with us, to invite us in, to teach us, to help us grow, just as you did for Abraham, that you invite us to be your friends in intimate fellowship and in purpose together. Lord, I ask that we become open to that, that we challenge ourselves in our prayer lives and our day-to-day -day living to let you transform us into these people who are bringing your kingdom into the world. And, and it begins in our hearts, Lord. And I ask that we, if we haven't begun that process, open ourselves to it. And if we've been stuck in that process, that we hear what you have to say today, that you're not gonna, that you love us too much to, to keep us where we're at. And Lord, I ask for those of us too that are walking the journey, that we continue to trust your faithfulness and to rely on you as we learn more about you each and every day. Lord, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.